Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. This is Undiscovered. Hey, you coming to vote? Yeah. Awesome. We're getting on the shuttle right now. So it's last April, the middle of the afternoon at North Carolina A&T State University. Though to be honest, this could kind of be any campus around primary season. Mm -hmm. Do you guys want to vote? Have you voted yet? You've got this group of student activists standing outside a class building, and they're trying to convince their fellow students essentially to cut class and to go vote instead. Early voting started in North Carolina's congressional primary. And for the next four hours, the school shuttle is making round-trip runs to the polling place. Student activists are calling this event Roll to the Polls. We try to make it seem as sexy as it can, but really it's just voting, and it's just that simple. That's Braxton Brewington. He is one of those student activists. And I'm willing to bet you probably knew somebody, like Braxton in college. Alex Kerner. (laughs) You know, it's the poli-sci major with, you know, the great handshake and wide smile, and you're like, this guy's totally going to run for office someday. And Roll to the Polls is Braxton's baby. Come on, we're about to leave. He passed out 200 flyers about this event, which means at this point he has heard every sad excuse not to get on this bus and go vote. <laughs> like, people keep trying to tell him, like, I don't have time to wait in line. There's no wait time. They're like, I don't even know who to vote for. I'll tell you. I, can, I know. I literally I know all the candidates. I know. I really can tell you about all of them. But even as Braxton is wheedling and cajoling and telling people, you need to get on this bus, you need to vote, there's something bothering him. There's this doubt lurking just under the surface that maybe none of this matters. Yeah. I wouldn't even say in the back of my mind. I mean, it's right there in front of us that when we go to the polls, does it really matter? It's like, oh, I want to get everyone to vote. But then it's like, well, the people who didn't vote, it's like, honestly, is it part of you thinks, does it even matter? Braxton's thinking this way because something happened two years ago. Republicans redrew North Carolina's congressional map. They, they cut up the state into new congressional districts. And in the process, they sent a district line straight through Braxton Brewington's campus, like the second largest historically black university in the country. So today, about half of A&T lives in District 6, half of campus lives in District 13, and Braxton and his friends have a name for this. Gerrymandering. Campus is being gerrymandered. Gerrymandered right up the middle of the campus. Gerrymandering. You have probably heard of it. It's when politicians divide up a state into voting districts that benefit, well, that benefit them, right? (laughs) It it helps them lock in seats for their party, get reelected more easily. You might have also heard that this is not the best for democracy. Um, It skews election outcomes. Like, look at Maryland, for example. Republicans won more than a third of the vote in Maryland last election. Not too shabby Republicans. Not so bad. But they end up with only one seat in Congress out of eight. Yeah, that doesn't seem fair. Skewed. So time and again, voters have gone to the courts and said, like, judges, stop this. Like, stop this gerrymandering (laughs) madness, generally without a lot of success. But that might be about to change because now voters are going to the court with a new weapon. And that weapon is math. I'm Ella. And I'm Annie. So you've probably heard a lot of 
stories this election cycle about how our democracy is broken. Mm-hmm. Well, today we have the story of someone trying to fix it with math. Today on Undiscovered, we've got the story of mathematician who goes to court. He takes the stand to try to prove that his state's congressional map is rigged. The outcome of this case might just redraw Braxton Brewington's line and district lines all across the country. That's coming up. So I think we have to start with a little, like, gerrymandering 101. A how-to guide. A how-to guide to gerrymandering. Say that you, Ella, want to gerrymander a map. There are basically two ways you can do this. Mm-hmm. Way number one is to pack your opponents. You're going to draw your district lines so all of your political enemies are are kind of shoved into just a few districts. Mm-hmm. They will win those seats, kind of like a consolation prize. But you, my friend, will walk away with rest. Excellent. Or... Option number two, you can crack your opponents. You slow down, I'm taking notes. So this time you're going to divide them up between districts, dilute their votes so that they can't elect anybody. Like spread them out thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what Braxton thinks is happening at a To me, the line represents like an attack. It's like, how can we diminish your voting power? To Braxton, it feels like North Carolina Republicans looked at a and and thought, You are young you are mostly African-American. I mean, that's a huge voting block of not just the makeup of the U.S., but specifically of the Democratic Party, which I think most of our campus tends to lean towards. They do. A&T votes overwhelmingly Democrat. So with a Republican-leaning state legislature, I think that the intent is very noticeable. The intent, according to Braxton, was to crack campus, to drown out A&T students' votes by taking this pocket of blue Democratic support and splitting it up between two red Republican districts. Yeah, and looking at North Carolina's history, this is not a crazy theory, right? In North Carolina, gerrymandering is basically a way of life. For decades, it was the Democrats who were actually doing it. Every 10 years after the census, Democrats would redraw district lines try to lock in those seats. And that worked really well for them until 2010, when the script flips. We now project the Republicans in the next Congress will be the majority. Anderson. If you really want an idea of how big this Republican wave is, North Carolina House and Senate flipped to the Republicans for the first time since 1870. 2010 is the year of the Tea Party. It's a massive red wave. And suddenly, North Carolina Democrats are out, Republicans are in, and it is the Republicans' turn to gerrymander. Draw the congressional map in their favor. And they are not shy about it. I acknowledge freely that this would be a political gerrymander, which is not against the law. That was Republican State Representative David Lewis copying to gerrymandering on camera in 2016 in front of a room full of legislators. Like... I couldn't believe what I was hearing the first time. This, so this, this was happening because North Carolina Republicans were about to unveil a new congressional district map, one that Lewis tells us up front is gerrymandered. And he goes even further. 
He essentially says, we are going to gerrymander this map so well, it's going to elect 10 Republicans to Congress and just three Democrats. So, Democrats? Cool? So I'm, I'm trying to understand why you feel this would be fair. That was a Democratic legislator piping up with a question that I will translate loosely as WTF, man, to which Representative Lewis says, Thank you for the question, Senator. I propose that we draw the maps to give a partisan advantage to 10 Republicans and three Democrats, because I do not believe it's possible to draw a map with 11 Republicans and two Democrats. We reached out to Representative Lewis for an interview. His office said he wasn't available. Emailed three other Republican legislators. They never responded. But anyway, just a few days after Lewis makes these comments, the Republicans' new map passes, and it drives a line straight through ANT. So Lewis's comments didn't actually make a big splash in North Carolina at the time that he said them, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. But there was at least one guy in North Carolina who was pretty taken aback by what Lewis had said. I mean, I used to work with him. He was our champion. Bob Phillips. Bob is the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina. Common Cause is a nonpartisan good government group. Yeah, Braxton from ANT. He's a fellow with Common Cause. Mm-hmm. Bob was particularly surprised by what Representative Lewis had said, because just a few years earlier, he'd worked with Lewis on gerrymandering reform. Like, he had worked with him to stop gerrymandering. (laughs) And now Republicans were drawing a new map. Lewis was in charge. And he's bragging about how good his gerrymander is? I don't know whether that was strategic or whether he was just a little bit too glib And, you know, maybe arrogant, so to speak, to say that. It didn't matter, though. For Bob, this was too much. It it was over the top for us. It was kind of like, that's our tipping point. In August 2016, Common Cause sued, alleging that the Republicans' new district map was a partisan gerrymander and unconstitutional. But you might think, like, pretty easy case. Right. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he admitted it on camera. I acknowledge freely that this would be a political gerrymander. And that, that really helps. But Bob and Common Cause still have one very big problem, which is, up to this point, no one had ever won a case like this. No one had ever taken a congressional map to a federal court and had the judges agree, yeah, this is a political gerrymander. It needs to go. Never. And in 2004, now former Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy laid out a few reasons why. So Kennedy and the court had just heard a case. It's a case that actually sounds a whole lot like Bob's, where some Pennsylvania voters were suing and saying, hey, our state congressional map is a political gerrymander. These politicians are cracking and packing people based on their party. And Kennedy's like... I would concede that what happens here is unfair in some common common parlance. It it looks pretty raw. Kennedy's like, look, I get it. Okay, Gerrymandering sucks. I wish it weren't happening. It is unfair in the common parlance, as the ordinary folks say. As the common folks say, unfair. (laughs) But Kennedy's point is like, look, if you want the Supreme Court to throw out this map, I need more than your sense that this is unfair. Okay. Like, I need two things, actually. I need um, a, quote, limited and precise rationale. I need some kind of legal principle that's going to tell me when a map has gotten, like, so partisan that it is actually legit infringing on people's constitutional rights. Okay. 
So that's the first thing I need. And then I actually need evidence that this map that you have brought me is, in fact, that bad. Like, you show me that, and then maybe I can help you. Otherwise? Uh, it, it seems to me that we're at sea. Like, no dice. Sorry. And ever since, people have been looking for the legal principles and the evidence that might finally sway the court and get them to intervene and to do something about partisan gerrymandering. And up to 2016, like, the search was not going so great. Cases come and go. The courts say basically no to all of them. Which is not what you want to hear if you are suing the state of North Carolina for partisan gerrymandering. Yeah. But... Bob and Common Cause have reason to hope. They think that their case is different, in part because they have really, really good evidence. They think they have a way to calculate just how rigged a map is. In other words, they think they can solve Justice Kennedy's evidence problem. Yeah, and the guy who figured this out? My name is Jonathan Mattingly. I'm a professor of mathematics and statistical science here at Duke University. I went to visit Jonathan last June at Duke. We were sitting in his office, surrounded by a bunch of falling over math books, sipping coffee out of some department mugs that say in all caps across the front, math, <laughs> in case like you forget where you are. And he told me until about five years ago, he'd never used his math for anything political. No, not really. No, uh, no. But then the 2012 election happens. North Carolina went for Romney. But you look further down the ticket at who North Carolinians sent to the House of Representatives, and it starts to get interesting. In 2012, over 50%, just over 50% of North Carolinians voted for a Democratic candidate, but yet four out of 13 Democrats were elected. So a tiny fraction, nowhere near half. Half of North Carolina voters cast a vote for a Democrat for Congress in 2012. Mm -hmm. But somehow, Democrats win less than a third of the state's congressional seats. Okay. Yeah, that sounds a little fishy. Yeah. And for some people, it's very clearly evidence that the state's congressional map is a partisan gerrymander. But Jonathan, again, math professor, he's not totally convinced. Like, you have to remember, we don't have a political system where if you get 40 percent of the votes, you get 40 percent of the seats. We don't have proportional representation. So if you really want to prove a gerrymander, you have to go deeper. Like, OK, maybe you might agree that only getting four out of 13. Four out of 13 congressional seats. Seems a little, uh, maybe not desirable, but maybe it should have only been Instead of four, it should have been five or six. You know, how do you decide that? What would have happened in this election if the maps had been nonpartisan? Like, how many seats could Democrats have expected to win? And then Jonathan realized he could answer that by drawing thousands of new nonpartisan district maps for the state of North Carolina and rerunning the 2012 election thousands of times. And so that's what he does. Jonathan and his students, they use an algorithm to generate new district maps for the state of North Carolina at random. Although they do give it a few constraints, stuff like, you know, districts have to have roughly the same number of people in them. Uh, the, the borders of the districts can't be too scraggly or tortured shaped. Right. And so by the end of this, Jonathan and his students have upwards of 24,000 new plausible district maps for the state of North Carolina. Maps that were not drawn by Democrats or by Republicans, but by a computer. Which is presumably unaffiliated. Right. The computer's not trying to edge out Democrats or screw Republicans. It is literally just drawing shapes. So in that sense, these maps are completely nonpartisan. 
And then for every one of those new nonpartisan maps, Jonathan and his students retally the 2012 election. So they plug the actual votes that North Carolinians cast into each of their new nonpartisan maps. And every time they're counting up who won and how much did they win by and do this over and over again, we get some idea of what we would expect to happen from that vote. They start to see how the 2012 election could have played out if the maps had been nonpartisan. How many seats could Democrats have won? And let me tell you, it is not four. About three quarters of the time in Jonathan's model, Democrats won six or seven of the state's 13 congressional seats. Sometimes they even won eight. And the chance that you elect just four Democrats to Congress using a nonpartisan map, it's less than 1%. Nearly impossible. This map was a gerrymander. So it takes a little while before the law people realize that this math professor might have just solved their evidence problem, but eventually they do. The way it happens, it's 2016. Jonathan is presenting on some of this work to some public policy types at Duke. And afterwards, he gets this call from a lawyer who's like, Hey, that's really interesting what you said. Could you just write down your results? Basically, could you write us an expert report, which Jonathan does? And then it's like, hey, that's really interesting what you wrote down. Would you testify as an expert witness at our trial? Because by now, Bob Phillips and Common Cause have sued. They're taking the state's Republican map drawers to court, and they want to put Jonathan on the stand to try to convince a panel of North Carolina judges their state's map is rigged. Coming up, a gamble that might just end partisan gerrymandering once and for all. And not just in North Carolina potentially around the country after this. What should I play? I haven't even tried this piano yet. Why don't we play a little bit of a piece that I think you might know? It's a new season of the Open Ears Project. I'm Terrence McKnight, here with stories from people who share the piece of classical music that guided them through some of the most important chapters in their lives. Listen now wherever you get podcasts. The trial starts last October at the Middle District Court in Greensboro. It's this very classy place. The building's Art Deco style, lots of limestone and granite. On the first day, Common Cause has a press conference set up outside, and who's there but Braxton Brewington, the of course. yes, the A&T poli-sci major. He's outside explaining for the cameras why the district line running through his campus is not okay. And for each and every student who lives on campus, their vote has essentially been diluted. Meanwhile, inside this courtroom, math professor Jonathan Mattingly is trying to get his head in the game. The plan was is that I was going to be witness, I don't know, four or five or something. And This is and all new to Jonathan? Like, he's never actually been in a courtroom before for anything. <laughs> and now he's an expert witness. Luckily for him, though, there are a bunch of political people who are supposed to testify first in front of this panel of three federal judges. But this morning, these judges come in and they're like, you know what? Skip the political stuff. Eh, like, boring. straight on to the math. Jonathan remembers this lawyer coming up to him saying, Mattingly, you're up. 
And yeah, there was a moment of like, oh my God. So Jonathan takes the stand and Common Cause's lawyer starts asking him questions. Right. And one of the things the lawyer asks him about is Republicans' 2016 district map. So this was the map that Representative Lewis said he hoped would elect. Ten Republicans and three Democrats. To Congress. And in 2016, that map delivered. Just three Democrats elected to Congress from North Carolina. But when Jonathan does his analysis, when he plugs the actual votes that people cast in 2016 into his 24,000 maps, most of the time he sees something really different. Five Democrats elected, not three. In fact, the chance of electing just three Democrats to Congress in 2016 using a nonpartisan map, it's less than 1%. Which means this map didn't just happen, right? It was precision engineered to do one thing, elect Republicans to Congress, as many as possible. And when you precision engineer a map, Jonathan found it is truly staggering what you can pull off. So case in point, the last time Republicans drew one of these political gerrymanders, this was the map used in 2012, they sent four Democrats to Congress. But you could ask, like, what if Democrats had drawn the map that year? What if Democrats were the gerrymanderers? Jonathan saw, looking at a simulation, that they could have sent nine Democrats to Congress, not four. I saw in my analysis that by never changing a single vote, by only redrawing the districts, I could change the number of Democrats elected from four to nine out of 13. You as the map drawer have that power to decide whether North Carolina sends four Democrats to Congress or nine. And we would consider each of those, you know, we would call that a wave election, either of those, right? And extremes, but with the same votes, you can create a wave election for the Republicans and a wave election for the Democrats. And that's a problem. Because, like, you imagine the morning after election, we all pick up our papers and we want to read about, you know, what did that election mean? Does it mean that voters are fed up with the status quo, right? They want change. Or maybe it means people's attitudes are changing on X issue or Y. But if we can get a red wave or a blue wave with the very same votes, it means that election didn't reveal anything about what voters wanted or what they thought. The only thing it revealed is who was drawing the lines. Jonathan testified for two and a half hours about this and a bunch of other analyses that his team did. And afterwards, he felt good about it. A political scientist took the stand after him and corroborated a lot of Jonathan's findings using a different algorithm. Now it's just a waiting game to see how the judges would rule. In the meantime, though, like I'd kind of been wondering, it seems pretty clear at this point that people should not be allowed to do (laughs) redistricting at all. (laughs) That's my conclusion. So my question is, why not just let Jonathan's algorithm draw the maps? The non-biased, non-partisan algorithm. Yeah. So I ran this idea by Jonathan. I caught him on his cell phone in the car. It turns out he's not such a big fan of that idea. Yeah, I don't want this to be an automated, like we have the, you know, the mapatron, and you come in, you press the button, it spits out the answer, and then we say, well, that's the law, that's our map. This could actually be kind of fun. <laughs> you can have a little robot, hello, I am the mapatron, I am here to make your map. Ultimately, though, it's just, it's a little bit problematic. Because the fact is, there are just so many judgment calls that go into drawing a quote-unquote fair district map. You're making decisions like, is it okay to divide a county? between districts. Uh, How do you deal with natural boundaries? 
like rivers or unnatural ones like highways? Is it okay to divide a city into districts? Is it okay to divide a Latino neighborhood? Is it okay to divide the nation's second largest historically black university? These are questions about what our priorities are and fairness. And algorithms don't decide what's fair. People have to do that. So Jonathan's proposal is have people draw the maps, people from both parties, and then just to make sure nobody's walking away with the election, have an algorithm check their work. I got a phone call and I, I, I was in the middle of something. So a little less than three months after this trial, Jonathan gets a call from Common Cause's lawyer, Steve Epstein. I said, hey, Steve, I'm in the middle of something. Uh, is there something important? He goes, you want to take this call? And, and basically he was like, you know, we won. The, the, the opinion's coming down. It's not public yet, but, but they agreed with almost everything. This was huge. Back in 2004, Justice Kennedy said, show me the evidence. Show me that this partisan gerrymander is infringing on people's constitutional rights. Well, thanks partly to Jonathan's math, these North Carolina judges had plenty of evidence. They had evidence that North Carolina Democrats were being discriminated against by their state government for their political beliefs. And according to these judges, that's a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. In other words, this map is a gerrymander. Throw it out. And, uh, and that was amazing. Um, you know, that, was, that was pretty fantastic. But as, as big as this win was, this was not the final word. Jonathan and Bob expected the Republicans to appeal to the Supreme Court, which they did. And ever since, we've been waiting. For months, this case has ping-ponged back and forth between the Supreme Court and the District Court in North <sighs> Carolina yeah, yeah. over essentially legal technicalities. In the middle of this, Justice Kennedy retired. Right. So earlier this month, the case went back up to the Supreme Court, where it's shaping up to be one of the biggest cases the court could hear this term. The stakes could not be higher. If Common Cause wins this case, it could fundamentally reshape our democracy. Like, it could change whose votes count and by how much. And if it fails, one election law expert who I talked to, he kind of compared it to what people say about New York City, except in reverse. He said, if it can't make it here, it can't make it anywhere. Meaning, if this case can't convince the Supreme Court to intervene in partisan gerrymandering, maybe no case can. If what happened in North Carolina goes, maybe anything goes. When Jonathan was on the stand last October, he talked about another analysis his team did. This one lets you actually zoom in on specific groups of districts to see if they've been cracked or packed. They were trying to show who this gerrymander was actually hurting and how. So there's a district in the middle of the state, a little bit to the west. I think this is just me, but to me it really looks like one of those Pomeranian dogs leaping. This is not... <laughs> no look, one else is going to see this. See, yes. But this district is probably cracked. And it's also where Braxton Brewington lives, the student from A&T. This fall is going to be his last time voting as an A&T student. It's going to be his third time voting in a district that a federal court has declared unconstitutional. And he is very, very frustrated. I was talking with my friend um, a while ago when we were saying, 
so I was born in 96. I want to say she was born in 97. But either way, around that time, we were legally allowed to vote like in 2014, 2015. So all of the congressional elections that we've voted in, 2014, 2016, and 2018, will all be unconstitutional maps. And so we were just talking about what it means to have literally never voted in a constitutional congressional election. And like, at what point do the elections we get to vote in, at what point will they be democratic? Like, when, when does it count? And it's like, none of them have really counted. But when I ask Braxton if there's anything else he wants to say. Um, well, first, if any students are listening, please vote in November. <laughs> please vote. a and students. Braxton will help you figure out what district you're in and where your polling place is. If you do not know the candidates, he will tell you. He knows all of them. No, really, all of them. Braxton will tell you, go vote. And in the next breath? Uh, how do you get people to the polls when, like, it's like, hey, the, the district you live in is unconstitutional, but still go and vote. And, you know, your vote still matters. And it's like, does it? It does, but it matters a little less. Gerrymandering. Your vote matters. It just matters a little less. Undiscovered is reported and produced by me, Annie Minoff. And by me, Ella Fetter. And this is your friendly Canadian reminding you that Election Day in the United States is Tuesday, November 6th which is a week from today. Please vote in November. (laughs) Please vote. On a smaller note, if you've ever finished an episode of our show and wondered, like, wait a second, how? Why? Why? (laughs) Or that reminds me of a time you're a scientist, you've got a story to share that's related, email us. We are at undiscovered at sciencefriday.com. We might just use your feedback in a future episode. Undiscovered senior editor is Christopher Intagliata, our composer is Daniel Peter Schmidt, and our production intern is Caitlin Swalje. We got fact-checking help from Robin Palmer this week. I Am Robot and Proud wrote our theme. Eddie Garcia was our reporter on the ground at A&T. A very special thanks this week to Thomas Wolfe and the Brennan Center for Justice. Also, Justin Levitt, Gregory Hirschlag, and Jonathan Mattingly's Data Plus students. We'll see you next week.